Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHKs I'm known, and three things up for review this week. There's the 2021 version of Dune, there's an animated film called Ron's Gone Wrong, and finally there's an animated limited series called Maya and the Three. First up is Dune, which is Denis Villeneuve's interpretation of Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi classic Dune. And I'm going to fall into a weird sort of camp when it comes to this latest film interpretation of it. So I'm a really big Dune fan. I read the books ages ago. I read them all in one chunk. And let me tell you, that gets a little confusing because they all sort of start to blend together. So I didn't necessarily remember going into this latest Dune film what exactly occurs in, say, Dune the first book versus something like Chapter House Dune, which, you know, there's 20 years between when and Frank Herbert wrote Dune and Chapter House Dune, but for me it was, you know, a, a, all in one consecutive order. So my memory was a little patchy when it comes to piecing together what belongs in the Dune film, and also what belongs is relative, right? Because it's a huge book, and in fact this movie version is called Part 1 because it does not cover the entire book, and I think that's important to know going in, especially if you are a Dune fan. That's not a spoiler, it comes up almost immediately, it's in the title card. Anyway. So I am a fan of the Frank Herbert books, even though they turn to absolute mush by the end. They get very weird and bizarre and still into it, but it was it was a very wild ride between the sort of crisp, clear, overcomplicated space politics of the first Dune book to the very last one where lots about sandworms. Anyway, I also like the David Lynch version. You know, it is what it is. David Lynch is a not-for-everyone filmmaker, possibly sometimes. It's a very ambitious thing to adapt, and so how does this latest adaptation stack up? Well, one, I think it kind of sucks because this is one of those films that got delayed a bunch, and so I think the expectation on it was really, really high. And that's not to say it doesn't live up to it. I don't actually know what I was expecting from this, I think is what it comes down to. I enjoyed the film overall. I think it's it's a very long film. It's two hours and 35 minutes, and I don't just say that because of the runtime. It just sort of feels long, and I respect the dedication to not trying to rush through things and trying to give moments the right amount of breathing room and all that type of stuff, but I don't know if audiences at present are conditioned to sit through that type of film. And this is where I fall into probably the weird category when it comes to reviewing this. So I spent the first watch through going, wait, is this what happens in the books? That's not what happens in the books. Who is this supposed to be? And then also trying to compare who plays what to the David Lynch version. I was like, oh, okay, you know, Josh Brolin is actually Patrick Stewart. That's an interesting casting choice in my mind. Or, oh, wow, they've really sort of stuck to the same visual style for Baron Harkonnen, who's played by Stellan Skarsgård in this. So, you know, it's just... I felt really bad because my first watch through was just a lot of me comparing it to other things. And I don't know if it's necessarily fair, but at the same time, when you're making an adaptation of something that has also been adapted before, some people are going to do that. And then my second thought when watching through it was, is this going to make any sense to anyone who does not have any familiarity with Dune? Because it is a it's it's kind of out there sometimes, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to, you know, there's sort of an inherent space politics to it. Spice might as well be interchangeable to something like oil for us at present. You know, I think people inherently understand when there are opposing houses and all. There's all these clues there, but for me, I was just going, if I knew nothing about this movie and I didn't know what Spice was, because to the film's credit, it doesn't sort of beat you over the head with like, this is what Spice is. This is what these people are. There are sort of expository moments, but I think they make sense within the context of the film. And so they don't beat you over the head with it. But at the same time, it's like, oh, okay, well, good luck figuring out this entire geopolitical situation between these interplanetary houses and emperors. And, you know, there's also a local population. And so anyway, all that being said, I have actually spoken to a couple of people and I don't normally do this, but I've, I've spoken to a couple of people who saw the film and going into it, they didn't know a lot about it, but they still enjoyed it. And again, I should, I 
want to reiterate, I did enjoy the film. It's just on me that my experience was spent comparing it to the previous iterations. So then I went back and reread the original Dune. And then I went back and watched it again. And again, this is just my experience with it. The second time through, then I was going, oh, this is missing. Oh, this is missing. Because now I know what's missing. And no, oh, this is done in more detail. And I kind of wish they'd included this. And I don't know how I feel about the way that this film version is portraying, let's say, the mother who's played by Rebecca Ferguson. I was like, oh, in my mind, it's a little more this. So it's, it's tough, right? That's what you get for an adaptation. But it's a beautiful film. It's well produced. It's well acted. Lots of whisper acting was one of the other things I noticed about it. I was like, lots and lots of whispers. It's definitely an epic. I know it's available on HBO Max. This is one that I actually do think might make more sense to go see in a theater just because uh, it'll prevent you from being distracted because it is such a long film. And also just the visuals are meant for a large screen. I totally get it and respect it. I hope that he gets to make part two of this because I like to take enough on it that I want to see where he goes with it, especially because part two would deal with the second half of the book and I don't want to spoil it for anyone. But the other thing that stood out to me about the Denis Villeneuve version was there's an inherent storyline about colonialism essentially in the original Dune books. And when we saw the David Lynch version, pretty much everyone was white. In fact, there's a character who is Asian, his, the character's last name is Yue, and it's played by a white man in it. And so this new 2021 version does cast people of color, but generally speaking, they all play the Fremen, who are the native population of the planet of Arrakis. And therefore, of course, there are going to be parallels to, you know, a, as I said, colonialism. They talk about harvesting the local power being the people power. And if, if you continue to read the Dune books, there's even more about that sort of that relationship. And then there's the white Masonic savior aspect to it. And he is explicitly the messiah of these people. There's, a, again, whole tons of backstory, all of which is missing from this Dune movie. But it's also because it's not necessarily all in this first Dune book. Very complicated way of saying, watch the movie, right? It's good. I think because my biggest concern was, will this make sense to people who have not seen or don't know anything about Dune? I think there's been enough evidence to show that it is enjoyable anyway. Also the cast, as I, I don't even think I mentioned the, the the entirety of the cast. You know, you've got Timothy Chalamet, you've got Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Jason Momoa, Zendaya, Dave Bautista, Javier Bardem. It's, it's, it's a loaded cast. I think the most important things to know going into it are it's, it's only one half of the story and that hopefully we'll get a second half and that don't do not do what I did and don't compare it to other versions of it if you are familiar with other versions of it and you'll have a better time than I did probably. But I'm going to give it 3.9 out of 5. I'm going to take a quick break and be right back. And I'm back. And then the other film I have this week is called Ron's Gone Wrong and I had relatively low expectations for this film. It's an animated film. It stars Zach Galifianakis, Olivia Coleman, Ed Helms, Rob Delaney. And if you look at the poster or the trailer for it, it features this little sort of uh, pill-shaped robot character who's adorable and translucent and just has like a happy face on it. And his name is Ron. And I love super appealing animated characters like that. Baymax, I think, is a great example of one that I'm just such a sucker for. And when it goes, you know, when it's it's a little bit wonky and it goes a little wrong, I'm just, I, I, I'm in, right? Like, this is, I, it's, you know, the type of humor that usually comes from this stuff, I'm, I, I am a fan of. And so it's not the most complicated story. You want to talk about overcomplicated in something like Dune versus something like Ron's Gone Wrong. It is also in its own way, a political commentary. So these robots, these pill-shaped robots, basically every kid has or wants one. And if you don't have one, then you are essentially a social outcast because these robots are responsible for generating your social network. And obviously it's trying to make a statement on how influencer culture and social media networks and all that stuff. In fact, the main inventor of these robots is, you know, head of a huge tech company is literally called Mark. And then the CFO or whatever other executive is, is looks very much designed like they are supposed to be Tim Cook. And 
And so it's like, okay, I don't think kids necessarily are going to understand what this is trying to make a comment on, but there's enough in there for kids with the silly sort of humor that comes from the physical jokes that come from this robot that has gone a little bit awry. And I also think there's a genuinely sweet plot line involving the the boy who wants, who so desperately wants one of these robots and his family, you know, can't afford one or can't get one for him. And then he gets this sort of fell off the truck busted one and, and things ensue from there. But I do think the moments between them are sweet. I think it's a, it's a good sort of story about how friends Friendship is a two-way street. I think it's well acted. You know, it's it's one hour, 47 minutes. It breezes by. There are jokes for adults. There are lots of jokes for kids. So I think it's just sort of a fun for the whole family thing. This is one of those ones that I thought was just going to get shoved onto digital because it was part of the Disney acquisition and it's from 20th Century Studios and all this sort of stuff. But it's cute. I don't know if you have to rush out and see it in theaters because I assume at some point it will come to Hulu or Disney Plus or something along those lines. And, you know, unlike Dune, which I'm like, yeah, no, you probably want to see that on a big screen this is not mandatory viewing on a large screen but if you do want an escape this could be a fun outing I'm gonna give it 3.7 out of 5 and then my last thing this week is called Maya and the Three, and it, this is sort of in order of theater to not theater, because this is out on Netflix, so you can't even really see it in a theater, but it is a limited series, and it's from Jorge Gutierrez, who did The Book of Life, who did El Tigre, and I'm not gonna lie, I had to watch this for something, and I was a little apprehensive about it, because I was like, I don't want to be forced to binge watch a kid's series. This is not a kid's series. I mean, yes, it is kid-friendly, but I think my overarching thought ended up being during it this is really intense. I don't know if kids are going to be able to handle this, at least younger kids. But it takes place in the kingdom of Tekka. It's this sort of epic, sweeping, Mesoamerican mythical story about a princess named Maya who wants to be a warrior and like the rest of her family and then ends up being the target of the god of war and he wants to sacrifice her. And so there are gods and magic and adventures and it's actually really metal at times. You know, there's this really intense soundtrack. There's a lot of fighting, but in a really well choreographed, interesting way. It's got a who's who of voice cast. It's Zoe Saldana, Stephanie Beatriz, Diego Luna, Gael Garcia Bernal, Alfred Molina is in this, like Danny Trejo, Cheech Marin, Rosie Perez, Queen Latifah, Gabriel Iglesias. It's, I just, I I had a really fun time watching it. I described it as something sort of between a telenovela and a superhero comic merged together into this fantastical limited series. I started watching it on a Tuesday night and I had to stop myself because I had to go to bed, but I was, I was going to blaze through all of them. I had a really good time watching it. I think, again, my only, I don't think it's a caution, but my only heads up is, yes, one, it deals extensively with death. And if you've seen Book of Life, you know that it it deals with it from the perspective of also, this is a huge part of the culture, right? It's dealing with your ancestors and how we honor the dead and all that stuff. So that is a, if you have younger kids, that's a topic you might have to broach afterwards. And also, there's just a lot of fighting in it. So be prepared for all of that. But I think it's just a really fun outing. I also love that it's a limited series and that they have an ending for it, because I think one of the challenges of a lot of sort of episodic children-friendly content is that they just want to keep it going forever and ever and ever. And so there's never any consequences to anything. And this is not just applicable to children-friendly episodic TV. This can be applicable to plenty of things. But I just, Maya and the Three, what an unexpected delight. I'm going to give this 4.5 out of 5. That has been it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Also, just a quick note that I have an interview, actually, with Maya and the Three creator, Jorge Gutierrez and Sandra Equeja. They are actually a married couple. She was one of the character designers on it. They are both the voices. They are a collaborative team. And it's just as fun as the series is, the interview was just as much fun. So be sure to check that out. And if you liked this episode, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.